The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at uh, decision-making. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, a very warm welcome. Thank you. And of course, thank you to all our returning listeners for joining me on yet another show. About two weeks ago, yes, I started a new count for the show to mark the fact that uh, Because There's More has now successfully completed the pilot and it will be running for at least another full year. I'm extremely excited about that because I know how impressed you're going to be by the quality of information that we will bring you on on this show uh, and the pedigree and wisdom of all our highly talented and very accomplished guests. Um, I mentioned in previous shows, but if you're listening for the first time, this show, because there's more, is an extension of the organization I founded back in 2013, Trusted Advisory Board, TAB for short, which in essence, it's a virtual personal advisory board to senior decision makers in business and in government. Uh, What I sought to create through TAB was uh, to provide a curated resource for faster and more accurate uh, business decisions. So join us every Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. EST or 2 p.m. GMT, and you will be exposed here to practical advice you will not find anywhere else. Uh, and I guarantee it, and be that in best-selling books, management workshops, or academic classes. Um, Throughout the year, you will get to hear from politicians, executives, young entrepreneurs, economists, psychologists, anthropologists, athletes, and the list goes on. And if you're wondering what all those people and disciplines and sciences have in common, um, the answer is very simple, decision-making. I have to tell you, I'm I'm asked often, why decision-making? And for me, it is a simple answer. Because whether you're looking to increase your company's shareholder value or you're looking to accelerate the growth and scalability of your startup or you're simply looking to increase your professional impact through advancing your career, it is good decision-making that is at the uh, uh, cornerstone of your success period. In any early days of a startup, the founder 
ends up doing the work. And same is true for me. And because I offer business advisory to senior decision makers, I've been often challenged uh, to uh, on my fit to fulfill that role. Um, have I run other businesses before? Have I led large teams of people? Have I tripled revenue in record times? Well, whatever the answer may be, if you're focusing on those questions to assess the credibility of advice, let me just point out to you that you are only focusing on one aspect of a decision, the information. There are other equally critical drivers that turn a decision into the right decision. And without those, no matter how relevant and accurate the information you bring is, you can end up just as much on the wrong path as when having insufficient or bad information. And TAP is the only organization anywhere in the world that mitigates all those variables simultaneously. And if you want to learn more, please visit us uh, uh, on www.trustadvisoryboard.com or drop me a line at lellis at trustadvisoryboard.com. So back to today's show. Um, today, I'm going to focus on my expertise, uh, namely decision-making as a cognitive process. What mental activities take place in our brains that can lead us toward the wrong decisions? And how can we better monitor our tendencies, which for most part are involuntary? And more importantly, what insights can you and in general business people and businesses draw from advancement, uh, from the advancements of cognitive and behavioral sciences to help leaders build stronger businesses? So those are the questions that throughout, uh, throughout different uh, programs in the show, I'll be coming back uh, to answer. During the pilot series, I did run one episode by myself, and um, I, I did decide that if I ever to come back and, and uh, share my expertise, um, I will try to look for a more dynamic format. So here today, to help me do that, I'm delighted to introduce to you Anvesha Sengupta, who is TAB's social media coordinator. Welcome to the show, Anvesha. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It is my pleasure. Um, Anvesha, in addition to managing TAB's social media and market presence, uh, she's going to be a regular presence on Because There's More, because um, I am convinced that partnering on, on shows like this uh, will bring you a better nuggets of my expertise or sometimes reflect our opinions on um, current events. So let me share a few things with you about Anvesha. I actually met her very recently at a networking event I stumbled upon by accident. And I learned that she's a young and absolutely beautiful Indian student, completing my pleasure, and it's absolutely true, um, completing her undergraduate studies in Canada. I think what struck me uh, very, very early was her maturity and well beyond her age wisdom. And and I'll, uh, I'll hold off from disclosing her age. We women don't like disclosing that, but that's what struck me uh, the most. But I later learned that Anvesha was born and brought up in India and that she moved to Canada four years ago to complete her undergrad degree in history um, and English. And during her high school year in India, she developed a high curiosity towards subjects like history, 
English and political science that now really inform her inclination to pursue political journalism. Um, she also made significant contribution while back home as a member of her school's news and debating team, the Drama Club, and the Social Services Society, where she volunteered a significant amount of her time at orphanages and old age homes. Her other interests involved the pursuit of classical Indian dancing for 10 years and being a field hockey player for an additional seven years. When I asked her how good she was at it, she said, I was very good. I actually made the national. So uh, you can see that everything she takes on, uh, she does her absolute best. While she still continues to pursue those activities today, she is an active member of the community she's part of, and she spends a considerable amount of time volunteering. She's currently a volunteer and member of the Toronto Youth Cabinet and the United Nations Association Canada, where she hopes to contribute towards the betterment of the society in any which way she can. And I'm thrilled to have her as part of TAP's team. And in a very short amount of time, she's already contributed to, um, uh, to TAB in a significant uh, way. So, Amesha, how do you feel about being on the show? I can't tell you how excited I am to be here today. And I wanted to thank you again so much for having me. I've known you for a little while now, and I'm still familiarizing myself with the concepts of industrial psychology, but the practical implications of these theories, some of which we're going to cover today during the show, are so extremely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I, I can feel your interest every time we talk. So um, it was an easy decision to bring you um, on, on the show and partner with me. Um, you completed a degree in English and history, and I know your aspiration, as I said, is to become a political journalist. Uh, tell me more about what's behind your choice. So I've always been intrigued by the quality and relevance of information that's out there and how people disseminate and interpret this, in, uh, this information and the innate predis the predispositions they already inherently have in their thinking style are also key factors. And that's what informs my passion and drives it to inform and create awareness so that's people out there that they might make better informed decisions in everyday life. Yeah. That, that's interesting. It's, you know, they, they often say that things happen for a reason, right? How we walked into, into one another. Um, how did this passion come about? So how did you come to have an interest in, in informing people so they're more politically active? Well, I had great teachers in high school and I often had history teachers that told us not to go by the information that were, was available to us just in the books because we were missing out on a lot of context and a lot of other information that wasn't already in the books. And they always told us to make sure that we're aware that there are always two more than one side to a story and that there's a lot of information that we don't have at our fingertips all the time and to always go and research. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you've been in Canada now for four years and, uh, um, you know, we haven't really talked about uh, this at length, but have you uh, observed any differences in, in how people make decisions here um, compared to how people make decisions in India? And when I say decisions, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm not just referring to professional decisions, you know, you were in university, so any kind of decisions. Did you notice any differences? 
I won't say uh, I noticed a lot, but something I did notice was that Canada as a country is so rich in resources and has so much to offer to its citizens. And because they uh, they have much higher standards of living than most other countries, I find that their everyday decision-making processes are almost, in a sense, automated and predetermined. They're already quite aware of the decisions they're going to have to make in the near future. Yeah, that, that's a very interesting observation. The, the automation part is something that you and I will probably bring back in, uh, in future shows because uh, this, as anything out there, has the potential to be a plus, but it also has the potential to be a minus and, and will uh, uh, sometimes turns into what I call um, canned uh, decision making. So that, that's a very uh, great insight, Anvesha. Thanks for sharing Thank that. Um, I also know you are very well uh, traveled. You regularly visit your father who works in the Emirates. Uh, you have close family in both New York and, and London. Um, any other observations that could, you could share with us on how people make decisions? Um, what strikes you more? Are there more similarities or more differences? What would you say? Um, that's one thing that strikes me the most, and it's something that's bothered me or intrigued me for from a very, very early on age. So the, uh, the thing is uh, the disparity in the decision-making processes, uh, how some organizations make very quick, fast decisions, and some, on the other hand, take a really long time to finally arrive at one. For example, the corporate organizations or corporate cultures have a tendency to make very fast Quick decisions because they have goals that they need to meet and they need to do it in a in as quick or and in as swift a way as possible. But think about parliamentary legislations. On the other hand, they're both organizations that affect hundreds of people, and yet they take completely different approaches to decision making. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, have you seen? Um, uh, that's a very interesting uh, observation. Again, you're a smart girl, and I know it's your area uh, of interest. Um, would you say that uh, things happen differently in in other countries that you've visited or or lived in, like India, from a um, you know from a process perspective, from a speed of the process perspective? Um, I wouldn't say that there are a lot of differences because wherever you go, people at the end are motivated by the same kind of things, career, country, culture, all, all those kinds of things, family. So no, I wouldn't see, uh, that there's a lot of differences as such, but obviously, I mean, in, com- uh, uh, there are differences when you compare metropolitan cities to more suburban areas. So suburban areas will have more of a relaxed way of living. So their decision-making processes will be a little less uh, quick and fast. And But however, metropolitan cities, because they have to cope with such a fast pace of life, they inherently need to make decisions that are quick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the point, uh, and again, thanks for sharing your insights. Uh, what, what I'm taking from what you're saying is that um, it's all relative. Like it's very important to know what is your point of reference. Uh, yes. Just before, yeah, before I moved to Canada, and it's been a while now, 12 years, um, I lived in London, UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to admit, although I, uh, I live in Toronto, which is the, um, you know, the hub, uh, the, the hub of economy, 
in uh, Canada and probably the fastest paced city in Canada. Uh, I continue to find it uh, relatively slow because uh, compared to London, it's a much younger uh, city. And Mm -hmm. and in my opinion, um, or or in my perspective at least, um, uh, people are still... um, uh, adapting to um, uh, to a, a, a city, to a metropolis, as you said, uh, way of living. And, and it's exactly. interesting how you observe the kind of decisions people make on a daily basis um, that reflects that mentality. And because, of course, because I'm a decision-making um, um, advocate and I'm passionate about observing decision-making, it kind of stands out to me. And, and I, I watch how people... Um, drive on the street and how, uh, you know, how they, they certainly have uh, more patience. I mean, although the, the impatience is growing, but when you compare uh, Toronto uh, impatience on a continuum relative to the one uh, demonstrated in London or in, um, or in New York, it's quite uh, uh, lower. And, and then, of course, there's many, many other um, uh, decisions that people seem to be um, making completely differently. There's a lot of, uh, as you said, very pointedly observed, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, resources and, and I would say rules in this society that make decision-making uh, an automated process uh, to the point that I feel uh, People don't take um, all the opportunities to um, to challenge whether the process or the rule is uh, the right one. Um, so it's an interesting observation, an interesting debate to have uh, all on its own. So we have now about two minutes uh, to the break. So um, I am not going to go too much into what we're going to discuss. But uh, for the remainder of the show, um, Mbeisha and I are going to cover, as I said, part of my expertise, uh, uh, the cognition of decision-making, the uh, what happens in our brain uh, when, we, um, uh, when we make decisions. Uh, in particular, we'll be talking uh, in more detail about a defining uh, tendency of our brain, uh, something that happens automatically, like many things, and involuntarily, something that greatly influences our thoughts uh, feeling uh, and action. So um, we're going to go on a commercial break and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Um, if you want to send us any questions that uh, we might be able to answer uh, during this show, please send me an email at l ellis e-l-l-i-s at trustedadvisoryboard.com uh, and we will be happy to um to answer all your questions. So enjoy the break and we'll be back in two minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. 
Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hi. I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Before the break, I introduced you to Anvesha Samgupta, which is TAP Social Media Coordinator, who is going to actually be a regular presence on the show, partnering with me to deliver your information uh, related to my expertise, the psychology uh, behind decision-making. So Anvesha is here with me, and um, I hope on your behalf of all the people who are listening, uh, I'd like to congratulate her for doing a great job on the first segment. On Thank her you first- so much. On her first radio show. How how did you find it? Um, any nerves? How was it? I have to tell you, Laura, I was a little nervous when the show began, but I'm enjoying myself immensely right now. So I'm I'm doing better. Okay, excellent. Well, you sound great. So we can't hear, I cannot hear your nerves. And uh, uh, in terms of content, you're proving me right. You're a smart girl with great insights. And uh, every point you made uh, could in and of itself be the show, the topic of another show. Um, so having shared with you some of the interesting findings, as you said, you, you haven't been exposed uh, to, to this science uh, before, to this specialty. Um, so having shared findings from the specialized decision-making literature, uh, we actually decided to, uh, together that today we will um, elaborate on the concept of the mind as an um, uh, associative machine. Uh, sounds, sounds good? Yeah? Absolutely. We have so many great things to share. I can't wait. Okay, excellent. Do you remember when I first mentioned it to you? What was your particular interest for this topic? Um, I would say that uh, what interested me most was how automated settings in our brains can kind of determine how we act. And the most interesting thing for me was that we don't even recognize biases when we act on it and the fact that we do it and we're just not aware and how things like that are happening every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is the reason why, um, you know, um, I, I was saying earlier in the introduction that uh, what TAB offers is unique. Uh, nobody else has um, uh, has attempted uh, to bring the different sciences together to uh, p- uh, provide a, 
let's say one-stop shop, but in a more business terms, an, an advisory, a virtual advisory, uh, personal virtual advisory board to a senior um, uh, decision maker because the elements of psychology are just as important, if not at times more important than um, than the quality of the information. In fact, even uh, how one chooses uh, the the information they uh, they include in the final decision, it's also uh, a matter of psychology. It's a result of a thinking process. So, um, yes, absolutely, this is what we're doing here, and my expertise is to share more of that uh, information. Just want to clarify here that to introduce and uh, elaborate on, on the topic of the associative machine, uh, the brain, the associative machine, I primarily follow the framework uh, and references cited by Daniel Kahneman in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, Daniel Kahneman is a professor emeritus of psychology at Princeton University, is considered one of the most influential living psychologists. And through his work with his partner, Amos Tversky, um, who later uh, died, has passed, uh, Daniel Kahneman has been awarded the Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences and is recognized as the founder of behavioral economics. And on a personal note, um, um, it's probably the reason, he's probably the reason I, I'm here today. I, I remember uh, reading uh, uh, one of their books. Uh, they collaborated, uh, uh, Professor Kahneman and uh, uh, Amos Tversky. And it just set me up forever to be in love with the decision making and, and to want to know more um, uh, about how we make decisions and why we make poor decisions and what can we do to actually uh, monitor and mitigate tendencies that most of the time we're not even uh, aware of. So it's really uh, a passion that has taken me to founding Trusted Advisory Board in uh, 2013 for sure. Wow, Laura, you clearly seem to be so inspired by Professor Kahneman. I would like to say, if any of you out there happen to know him personally, please tell him that he is Laura's inspiration for having built this business. And we would absolutely love to have him as a guest on this show. Thank you for that. And you know what? Keep saying it because you never know. One day we will meet the person who will bring Professor Kahneman on our show. You um, never know. Yes, absolutely. Keep hoping big, right? Yes. So um, in his book, Daniel Kahneman refers to the brain as an associative machine. Um, so what that means, in other words, is that when you are exposed to a stimulus and whether it's in the form of a word, an idea, or an action, your mind automatically uh, creates a connection with other words, um, ideas, or actions. Does that make sense? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, the other day, I'll try explaining it, how much ever it makes sense to me. So the other day when I was on the subway, I saw an ad for an apple cider, and it said that if subliminal messages don't work, then why are you thinking of a crisp apple flavor right now? So yeah. is it something like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you actually uh, saw the, the word apple and then uh, you thought of the taste uh, of the apple. So right. connections of the type you just described 
form quickly, automatically, and without any um, effort. And, and the stimulus can be concrete or abstract. In your situation was a, uh, a word that you saw written. And the connections can also be of many types. So where causes are linked to the effect. So, uh, for instance, uh, uh, clouds. Uh, will um, trigger a connection to rain or or things to their own properties. If uh, the word lemon will cause you to connect uh, to the word yellow or things to their uh, category they belong to. So uh, a word like chair will uh, trigger a, a connection to the category it's part of furniture. So those connections take place simultaneously outside of our control. And of the many associative links taking place, we're only aware of the few. So um, that's what actually happens in our brain without our control. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure. So think about it like a domino effect, but not just on a one strand. It's like a domino effect that is ramified over a number of strands. So it is an uncontrolled chain reaction produced when one event sets off a chain of similar events, while there is another chain reaction going in a different direction. And same thing happens in our brain when it receives uh, a stimulus. So you mean if I hear a word, see an image or see an event, that will mm-hmm. automatically create a link in my mind to something typically linked to it already? Yes, absolutely. And it will not create one link. It will probably create lots and lots of links because every word or idea will connect to many others. So it, it will kind of almost be like an explosion. So imagine a domino effect multiplied right. to many, many strands. Uh, so for example, if you recently seen or heard, and, and that was uh, uh, something that Professor Kahneman referenced, if you seen or heard the word eat for a while later, you're more likely to complete the sequence SO-P as soup instead of soap. If, however, you just seen the word wash, then your completed word will most likely be soap. And this, this, this tendency of the brain to create associations uh, between uh, abstract or, or concrete uh, things that they're normally linked to, it's, it's called priming. You mean uh, like priming the walls before painting? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good comparison. Yes, absolutely. In the way that priming gets the mind ready for taking a certain direction versus another. So like in the example that I gave earlier, the word eat will prime the brain to, um, uh, to go in the direction of soup uh, instead of the direction of soap, whereas the word wash will prime the brain to think of soap instead of soup although they could equally be um, uh, valid in uh, exercise where you're asked to put the third letter in, um, in the sequence. <laughs> interesting. That's actually so interesting. I'm just taking it all in. And you said that this priming can be done by words, ideas, or actions? Yes, absolutely. Not only that, but there's a kind of a cross-activation. And, and, and the, the fact that the mind, uh, uh, you know, uh, operates as an associative machine has been known to us for uh, um, a while. So uh, something the psychologists call uh, associative activation. So that's been known for a while. But what we're learning or what we've learned more recently, there's also a lot of cross-activation. 
a word can prime for another word, but it can also prime for an entire idea or an action or in the reverse order and in any other combination of the above. So, for example, um, uh, an action can prime for an idea or a word. An idea can prime for an action or a word. So the combinations are, again, involuntary, not controlled, and involuntary, not controlled, same thing, and automatic. Okay. Uh, I can think of one, actually. I mean, uh, so if I have a pen, and I know it's a, it's a really bad habit, but if you have the tendency put the, to put the pen in the mouth, and if you put it in uh, horizontally in the position of uh, a smile, then you're more likely to think happier thoughts than in comparison to when you just keep the pen in your mouth like with a frown, yeah. and you'll end up thinking negative thoughts. Okay. That's amazing. Yes, that, that the many many interesting uh, experiments in psychology that uh, uh, you know I, I'm sure people find fascinating. You're absolutely right, and I'm not sure how you came across that, but but that was uh, again something that was uh, conducted as an experiment. Let me tell you one that uh, hopefully uh, it should sound impressive to you and to um, everyone else. I, I remember um, doing this in uh, in university and thinking, wow. Wow, this is amazing. Uh, there's a known priming experiment run by a psychologist called John Barr and his team. And what happened, he asked students to create four-word sentences from five given words. For one group, however, half of the scrambled sentences contained words associated with old age. After the experiment, all students were asked to walk down the corridor to participate in another uh, experiment. And here's a funny thing. While everyone thought that the, the actual experiment was putting the sentences together, the actual experiment was not in the sentence construction, but was in the walk down the corridor. Guess what happened? The group that was exposed to the elderly theme walked significantly slower than the others. This, that's so fascinating. How, how did that happen? Well, it's, it's pretty impressive, isn't it? You, you just read some words and then you walk slower. Um, well, basically, students had no idea what they were being measured on. So in, in effect, what happened in, in their brains, there were actually two levels of priming. So first of all, the words associated with the elderly, like Florida, forgetful, bald, gray, wrinkle, uh, primed thoughts of old age in various forms and probably likely different from one participant to another. So one person might have thought of their uh, grandparents. I don't know. Another may have seen a movie of, of older people. Um, in, in essence, uh, a lot of participants were primed by those words to think of old people. Now, on the, at the next level, once the concept of old age was formed, the next involuntary association translated into an action. Um, and this type of priming, where an idea influences an action, is called ideomotor effect. And, and this effect also worked in, in reverse. And there were a number of studies being run in reverse where people, believe it or not, they were being asked to, uh, to walk slower 
And uh, after they walk slower for a number of minutes,、uh, they were presented with, with words and asked to select words. And basically, they picked up the the words、uh, significantly more times. The words with、uh, an、um, elderly team related to old age. Isn't that amazing? It really is. I remember coming across the study where people were asked to move their heads if they heard distortions in the sound to test the quality of the headsets. Those who were told to nod in a yes gesture accepted the messages they heard. However, those who shook their heads in a no gesture rejected the messages, even though they were listening to the exact same messages. Is that an example of priming as well? Yes, absolutely. You got it. Yes. So. So you must have.、Um, uh, I have a feeling you must have come across this experiment as part of a marketing module in in school. And and basically,、um, the idea is that simple gestures that we typically associate to uh, uh, something, uh, and and in this situation, nodding is、uh, we associate with a positive answer of acceptance, and、uh, shaking head we associate with.、Uh, um, uh, You know, refusal.、Um, simple gestures like that can also um, uh, trigger uh, thoughts, influence、uh, our thoughts and and feelings. And as I said, I mean, there's so many interesting、uh, experiments in in psychology that just demonstrate that there is so much of、um, so much of our mind that we don't control, and it happens、um, involuntarily. And To be honest,、um, having this um, um, having this knowledge、um, as as exciting as it is、um, doesn't seem to be translated, or or at least in my experience, it's.、Um, uh, It's it's lacking its translation、uh, in terms of what does it mean、uh, for business. So we have a couple of minutes to、uh, to the break. But what we will come back with after the break,、uh, we will be talking more about、uh, the the impact、uh, of this information. So yes, this is all great. But what do businesses do with that, and and why、um, why is it important for、uh, people to have either a support mechanism? Mechanism or the kind of awareness and uh, and um, uh, knowledge that、um, informs their decision making in a more、um, in a more deliberate way. Because if you can imagine that,、uh, and and after the break, we'll be getting.、Um, I'll be sharing with you another fascinating experiment. But if you can imagine that、uh, we are、uh, surrounded by.、Um, Things around us that have the potential uh, to, uh, you know, to、um, influence our decisions and and uh, uh, how we uh, make our choices.、Uh, you can、uh, imagine that it's important for. Businesses to know how.、Um, just、uh, you know, one last example.、Um, the context.、Uh, The distance、uh, in another experiment. The distance、uh, of where the、uh, 
um, the voting poll uh, was or whether the poll was um, um, situated in a church or a school uh, also uh, seemed to have a huge um, a huge significant impact on the on the um, how many voters turned up to vote based on people's own um, uh, religious views or uh, their uh, ease of uh, being in in a church or or in a school. So even when this doesn't happen to many thing many people. Um, it only takes a, a limited number of people to turn the votes around. Uh, so you can imagine uh, why having this uh, awareness can um, uh, be good for anyone, for the society in general. So we're going to go away for a couple of minutes, uh, but we'll be back after the break uh, with more information, uh, particularly how this information is relevant to businesses and how businesses can leverage it to uh, make better business decisions. If you have any questions for us, please email me at lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. See you after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advanced be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hi, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look um, at decision-making. And I'm here with Anvesha Sangupta, who is TAB's uh, social media coordinator and who will be joining me uh, on a number of shows, will be a regular appearance on the show uh, to enable um, us to share with you some of, the, of my expertise, um, namely the thinking processes behind uh, decision-making and how we make good or poor decisions and what can we do to actually elevate the quality of our decision-making? So how did you enjoy the second segment, Anvesha? 
everything looks great so far. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah. Yes. And uh, so, so far, we've only discussed the theories of uh, decision making and the kind of biases that are out there. And we were going to talk about uh, how that makes sense for business settings. And that's what I think we're most interested in. So could you tell us a little bit more about how it's relevant to decision making in business settings? So here's what I'm going to do. Just before I talk more about that, um, I'm going to share with you um, a, a very remarkable research. And, and this was conducted by Kathleen Vos, um, who found that the um, idea of money, even when introduced in a very subtle form, like a screensaver of dollar bills floating in water or as a pile of chips on a monopoly board, prime individualism in people. So there were a number of experiments where participants were presented with words, um, uh, scrambled sentences of the type I had described before, but where the theme was money and, and people would come up with sentences that would say high paying salaries. And then after uh, participating in uh, putting together the letters or even, as I said, being exposed to subtle um, elements uh, that led to the idea of money, um, their their behavior was being uh, observed in uh, a number of uh, incidents that were created uh, for that very purpose. So what the experiment found is that people who were primed by money um, showed a reluctance to be involved with others, showed were less likely to depend on others or less likely to accept demands from others. In fact, there was, a, there was an experiment where, um, you know, a number of uh, uh, one of the um, uh, actors would, would drop um, his pencils and ask for help. And people primed by money uh, were less likely to help when they were being asked. And I don't know if it, this sounds as strongly to you or the audience as it did to me when I reread this experiment. But this has huge implications for the business practices inside of a business culture in the Western world in which we're constantly, constantly bombarded by reported earnings, rising or falling share prices, cost cuts, revenue growth, promotion, salary increases. And while this is going on in our background, uh, in the context around us, a lot of the specialized leadership and, and management literature keeps pushing the value of collaboration, the importance of customer centricity, of empathy, and of care. All of which is unlikely to happen easily because we have primed ourselves by money and we're more likely to be uh, individualistic, self-centered, um, fend for ourselves. Um, does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's quite fascinating how even though in theory, the companies seem to be pursuing collaboration and customer centricity, in practicality, what is happening is the polar opposite. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that, you know, you see happening in small organizations, but big organizations as well all the time. Yeah, and and here's the thing. Um, uh, I um, I work. Uh, I collaborate with a number of consultants, and I know that. Uh, uh, and I and I was one of those consultants. Um, as a consultant, you almost feel frustrated that the business is not listening to your advice. And when you talk about customer centricity, mm-hmm. or you talk about value of collaboration and or empathy, or uh, doing your best for the customer, or collaborating with your colleagues, all those great words that are part of our uh, vocabulary, uh, leadership vocabulary today. Um, You know, consultants get frustrated that the business is business people don't um, let's say listen to us and and what I've come to uh, to realize and what I was reminded of just by going back to my decision making roots and the reason for which I created Tab is that we don't even know that we're doing that. We don't even know that we we actually have been primed. And, and that's, let's say, the scary part. We're not even aware that we have been primed to actually be individualistic, to, to work by, uh, by ourselves, not to, uh, and to do actually everything, uh, uh, the opposite and, and not, or not to show empathy or, or not to, um, you know, to, to want to help others, but instead, uh, focus on what it is that it, it, makes us uh, successful. Of course, sometimes in a misguided uh, definition uh, with, of success, I, I actually shared on, um, on a LinkedIn post a very personal uh, experience that I've had. Um, I was receiving uh, nuisance phone calls um, and uh, I asked my supplier, they were very personal, uh, say no more, and uh, I asked my uh, landline supplier to actually cut my landline and to monitor the calls and, and potentially to remove my number from directory inquiries because uh, the calls were regular and, and indecent. And um, to my surprise... I had uh, no empathy uh, for what I was going through. On the contrary, I was kept, uh, I was being told over and over again that, um, um, you know, there is a process that I have to follow Mm -hmm. and that it will take so many days and then nobody can do anything for me. And sometimes, you know, there's another part of of, uh, uh, psychology and how our brains work if you at least feel that someone is trying to help you, but they cannot help you, uh, you're more likely to accept uh, the the situation. What was happening in this situation, there was no empathy whatsoever for what I was going through. Everyone was too uh, focused on following their processes uh, in the organization, perhaps for fear of uh, stepping outside the norm. Uh, so this is one situation where, I know that the organization uh, I'm describing uh, talks about serving their customers and customer centricity is top for them. Well, there was no customer centricity in in this situation. And um, I can certainly guarantee that 
part of the uh, reaction of the employees are um, it's primed by uh, money and and other priming like priming by fear. Does that does that make sense? No, Have you experienced? Uh, yeah, definitely. That's awful. I mean, I've had some personal experience with the. Uh, another phone company as well that completely talks about, you know, customer orientation and services and empathy in terms of uh, providing customers with everything they need and all the help they can possibly need. And yet when I was in a different city and I had my phone stolen away, I, when I got my monthly bill that, uh, that for that month, it was over uh, his $600. And uh, I spoke to the company and, uh, you know, they said that, you know, it's your phone and you'd have to pay it. Otherwise, we'd have debt collectors after you. And I tried to speak with them and I asked them if they could transfer me to the manager. And they said that, you know, the managers were too busy to deal with issues like these. I mean, if they're not going to deal with issues like these, that what are they going to deal with? Yeah. yeah. So it's no, not it's... the only organization that's doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I actually think that it's uh, it's pointing out to a, a bit of a breakdown in in our society, and and there's a number of implications for businesses. I mean, uh, to name just a few of the areas, like employee engagement, for example, people like to know that they are um, part of a greater purpose and then they're being cared for by their employer. In a money-prime capitalist society like the North American society, we need to make some deliberate efforts to turn around the priming effect of money so that we begin priming for more empathetic, caring, consumer-centric uh, behavior. And, and of course, all those drive uh, attitudes like uh, increased customer loyalty, uh, longer employee retention and and of course higher productivity and, and greater um, uh, revenue and we only have like three and a half minutes to the end of the show but let me just leave this by by saying that uh, uh, there are things that organizations can do to to mitigate uh, those risks um, and uh, you know th- things that are not as costly Sometimes they are not as costly, and and you may consider them uh, manipulative uh, and and uh, little. But uh, um, as um, as Professor Kahneman uh, said, uh, disbelief is not an option. Those things happen. Our minds uh, um, uh, do play those tricks, uh, and we don't control. Um, uh, every single thought that we have on the country. Um, so let me emphasize that um, investing in creating a support system that taps into how people form ideas and how uh, they form attitudes and how they make uh, choices can generate less costly solutions, uh, a system like TAB or something similar. Um, surrounding ourselves with images of bravery generosity of spirit and kindness instead of imagery of uh, portraying financial success would likely go a long way into changing behaviors in the uh, workplace. So here's my last three tips uh, that I would like to give people in senior decision-making roles to turn around undesirable consequences of priming. And by no means, I mean the priming is the only issue. But be open to look at different approaches to identifying the real problem. More often than not, um, you're dealing with a symptom, not the problem. Um, 
make sure that you don't extract yourself by uh, from the group of those affected. You are probably doing and being primed yourself and ask for help uh, and feedback. And we are at the end of our show. Thank you, Anvesha. I hope uh, you enjoy the show. Thank you, Laura. I look forward to the rest of the episodes we're going to have. We have some great things planned ahead. I know that. I know, and I'm looking forward to it. You've been a great partner, and you made this easier. Um, and let me just introduce the, the fact that next week we will have Phil Armstrong, uh, who's a remarkable individual and a highly accomplished professional and a tab advisor. Uh, he's been entrusted to bring innovation globally for Sun Life Financial. Uh, so make sure you tune in next Monday at 9 a.m. EST and 2 p.m. GNT to learn more from Phil's experience. Until then... Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Because There's More. Join Laura Ellis again next Monday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to tune in because there's more.